morning we're going to be in, as you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to cover the first 28 verses. If you guys want to turn there, if you have your Bibles. And this morning I, I would uh, title this The Reality of Resurrection. And not the reality of so much the resurrection, but resurrection in that uh, Paul covers uh, in the first section here uh, the resurrection of Christ, not so much that uh, of the story. The story is in the Gospels. Uh, it's kind of inferred that you guys know the story. You've probably went through it. Uh, read it at your leisure if you haven't. I encourage you. Uh, we'll cover it a little bit, but more important, not more importantly, but uh, we will, uh, we're going to kind of look at the uh, value and the validity of it, um, kind of uh, that next uh, step that Paul talks about here. It's going to feel like an Easter service uh, in some ways, and Easter is just around the corner, so it's kind of fitting, I think, you know, uh, to cover the, the resurrection. But uh, as I said, uh, not just the resurrection of Christ, but the re- our resurrection, we're going to talk about a little bit, more so with Pastor Mike next week, but we'll hit on it a little bit because Paul does. And so uh, there's a resurrection of Christ, and then because of that, there, we, can, we will be resurrected. Again, the scriptures indicate, so... <clears throat> Uh, we know uh, most Easter, Easter services, uh, uh, we would cover that, uh, I think of the picture here, uh, the picture of the, the burial tomb that we saw on the screen a while ago. That was a powerful picture. I love the, the slides uh, that was up on the screen during that song. It was just powerful. I was looking at that thinking of that, at how just awesome that, that is, how uh, beautiful the burial, you know, we'll talk about it more later, but how beautiful that is. God takes... Uh, Things like that, how, uh, dead things, and, and uh, not only makes them new, but he, he, makes, he gives beauty for ashes. He makes something beautiful out of it, uh, something we can't do on our own as humans. So, um, Once again here, before we, we start reading, uh, we know that this is the, it's not even really debatable, this is 1 Corinthians 15, this is the most important resurrection chapter in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5 is another a big one, we might reference that today if we got time, but we know that this is is uh, is a huge and very important, very important uh, chapter. Um, it's mentioned 104 times, and then just in the New Testament alone, and a lot of inferences in the Old Testament. Uh, it's it's really, <laughs> it's there's a lot of value, there's a lot of validity, like I said, and, and we'll talk about why. So we're gonna. Uh, read, uh, we're going to look at the evidence of the resurrection here in the first 11 verses, and then we're going to look at the importance, and then we're going to look at the order that Paul kind of lays out there. So let's jump in here. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, 
so we preach and so you believed. We'll stop there for a minute. We see, uh, you know, through all, you, you guys have been here, I'm sure, through all of Corinthians, and, and we're about to wrap up, you're about to wrap up Corinthians, one more chapter after this. Through it all, there's so many things, we won't go reiterate it and go back through it, but, you know, they struggle with immorality, they struggle with all kinds of stuff, we all do, we're no different. But here, it's, it's exciting because they've done well. You know, they received the gospel, he says. And uh, we can't do much better than that to receive the gospel. You know, it doesn't do us any good unless we receive it and we believe it. And uh, you remember before we go on the, what the gospel means. The gospel means the good news. And back in, in Paul's day in, in the ancient times, you, uh, it's, it, it didn't always mean that. You know, it, it, it would be like, say, you went to your favorite chariot, chariot race one Saturday night and uh, uh, your, your favorite guy won, you know, he won the race, so you go tell everybody the good news, you know, hey, my guy won the race, right? Uh, the good news, he, they're proclaiming it. Well, the early church, they changed this up to, to mean the good, you know, that word, I can't remember the word is, I didn't write it down, but the, uh, they kind of uh, made it, they took it over, they took that term to mean the, the capital G, good, capital N news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, uh, and in fact, it's the greatest news because it's the only way, as you know, we get to be in heaven. And uh, so all of the religious t- attempts, they're, they're only bad news. They're, they're only striving by our own works and, and uh, coming up with these philosophical ideas and, you know, every other religion, not to bash other religions, but it's, it's, uh, it's just a, an attempt at the good news, but it's truly not good news. It's, it's really bad news in the end. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that too, but... Uh, I like uh, Paul breaks it down, what the ga- uh, gospel actually is. Right here in verse 3 and verse 4, he says, um, right here in verse 4, he says that Jesus was uh, buried. Jesus died for our sins, I'm sorry, verse 3 and verse 4, he was buried and he rose again. So those three things, those are the three big ones, obviously. He died for our sins, he was the, that propitiation, that payment that turned away wrath, and he was buried. Three days later, he rose again, and that's the gospel. And uh, <clears throat> back in verse 1 and verse 2, he says, I declared that gospel which I preached to you, which you were saved. I think it's important. He, he reminds them, he says, I, I preached this to you guys. You, you received it and you believed it. And Romans 10.9 says, if you believe, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that, the, uh, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we see here that I always think about that when I read this section at Romans 10.9 that um, salvation is predicated on the resurrection, right? The gospel, but really the, the resurrection. Um, so we, we really got to, you know, make a calling and election. Sure, we got to be- know that. Do I, do I believe that really happened? Yes, I do. And I know you guys too do too. But um, Because without that resurrection, uh, Jesus' death, I, it sounds like, a, I'm not trying to say it for shock value, but it, it meant nothing because... Other, it didn't mean nothing, but in, in, in a sense that it didn't complete the, the gospel. That had to happen. And, uh, you know, and we can't forget that he indeed did, did more to complete that. You know. And, you know, I think about Jesus when he walked around. Uh, at one point, the people said, show us a miracle. We need another sign that you're from heaven. We're not really, we need, we need more signs. We're not convinced yet. Uh, you know, in all reality, they just didn't want to believe and so Jesus told them that there'd be no sign except for the sign of the prophet Jonah who spent three days and three nights in the belly of the, the great well. I think of another time 
Jesus was walking around Jerusalem and he was walking past the temple with his disciples and he looked at the temple, this massive structure, this beautiful temple that was supposed to be dedicated to God. And he looked at it and he looked back. I'm just picturing him looking at people walking around and he just, he just said it out loud. He said, uh, tear this temple down in three days and I'll raise it up again. And of course he was talking about himself. People misconstrued that. Some didn't understood it, some didn't. But he was talking about himself there. And see, I, I, I like those two uh, passages there because both times he's speaking of his body being broken for us and how he would be uh, he would be dead in three days he would die three days later he would rise he predicted his his, his own death and resurrection and they remembered that later and uh, but at the time it was kind of like what are you talking about <laughs> so but I've heard it said like this his death on the cross was uh, once again the payment for our sins but the resurrection was the receipt of that payment that, that uh, the sacrifice offered up was proven to be accepted when, when God uh, rose Jesus to life again. You know, death couldn't hold him because he defeated it. it it's, this is, it's official. We know. Otherwise, how, how would we really know? Except for he resurrected. He showed himself. For 40 days after that, he showed himself to people. He'd pop in, and we'll, we'll hit on that in a second. But um, it's important because, because of this, we can live too. He, may, he paved that way. He was... Uh, he was the forerunner. He was the trailblazer. He was so many things, you know. Uh, he did it, but if he didn't do it, we couldn't either. We, we would be uh, dead in our, our sins and trespasses and lost. And, and, and so, uh, but back to the Corinthians, we see that the <laughs> they, they stood in the gospel. So we know they were doing well because they were standing in the gospel for the most part. And uh, Paul wanted to see this church that he planted do well and continue to do well. He told them to hold fast that, that uh, gospel. Um, hold fast is a, is a term that implies that there's a little negativity there. He's, he, that something's wanting to snatch this away from them. Something's wanting to hinder their walk, uh, the, wanting to, to change the gospel and, and, and get it away from them. You know, we get, we get that pull all the time by the culture, and so were these Corinthians to uh, disbelieve the gospel, to disbelieve what Jesus said he did. And uh, he says, hold fast. You know, this is, here lies the problem, the whole problem that, that Paul wanted to correct. Uh, there was unbelieving Greeks that were given teaching positions in the church. Uh, and so we see Satan already wanting to infiltrate from the inside. He'll push from the outside with the, cult, with the culture, but he's definitely, he'll, when that doesn't work, he'll join the church. He'll try to, to infiltrate uh, and, and penetrate that church from the inside. If you can't beat him, join him, you know. And so the, the majority of the Greek culture already didn't accept the idea from childhood of, res, of resurrection for anybody after death. Uh, and I think of Paul in Acts 17, you guys remember because he went through Acts. He went to Mars Hill, the area of Gopagus. Gopagus is hard for me to pronounce, but there in Athens, Greece, he preached a message about the unknown God. He, he was walking through the town, the city, and he saw all these statues of Apollos and Jupiter, all, the, all these uh, Greek gods. They worshipped all this stuff, but they even had a statue to the unknown God. I don't know what that looked like. Probably nothing. Just had a plaque probably on their unknown God. And uh, kind of silly to think of, but uh, Paul played off on this. He said, uh, you, know, you, you know, you guys, I want to tell you about this unknown God. We won't read the whole story, but he laid out this beautiful message that was handmade for the... Uh, the Greeks here, he had them all drawn, drawn in. He, he had them all focused on what he was saying. You know, at first they were just like, who's this uh, seed picker, this babbler, you know? And, and uh, he kind of had them drawn in a little bit, all the philosophers, the Stoics, the Epicureans, all the, 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 
brainiacs, the people looked up to, you know, in this place that were, they were gathered at, where they always gathered to, to just talk about stuff. They had them all gathered, they all, all in there, and, and uh, focused, and, and he told them all about uh, this unknown God who's really Jesus, and uh, he mentioned the resurrection. You know, he mentioned uh, that, and they just kind of, you know, <laughs> it says some of them listened, but majority of them mocked Paul. They, they were like, oh, we can't, we're gonna, we're, we can't really accept this. Maybe we'll hear from you later. But, you know, they, once again, they were taught from the childhood the resurrection of the dead wasn't possible. It was hard for them to accept. And the uh, point is, so you can imagine, there were many in the congregation who still thought that way. Also, they were having that tug, that pull to, to believe that way again. And Paul, with his brilliant Jewish thinking, you know, he was a Jew. And uh, these were Gentiles he was speaking to. But still, he, he thought like a Jew in a lot of ways, which is good. You know, we get our Judeo-Christian, that's our roots. You know, we get our judicial system, for the most part, from uh, the Jewish law. But anyhow, he, uh, <laughs> he brings, uh, you know, it says in Deuteronomy, I believe, that the testimony of, of uh, one or two witnesses is, is a must for anything to be valid in a court of law. And so he brings in seven witnesses, <laughs> more than he needed to, to testify to the fact that Jesus indeed resurrected from the dead, that resurrection is real. It's a reality. And uh, so Paul wants to get his point across here. He draws the first witness and we've already read about it. He, uh, the witness was the church itself. You guys here are a witness, and, and the Corinthians were a witness. They're, they're church. You know, where else do you get that diff- all the different backgrounds to gather together in one place and, and not just act like they're having a good time fellowship, but, but truly koinonia fellowshipping, uh, truly sharing lives? It happens only in the church, really. I've looked around, and, and the church is the only place, and, and it's because of of accepting that gospel, of accepting him, him working through us. And so we know that they received it. They were impacted by it. Uh, this Las Vegas in the middle of the, <laughs> in the, the, in the Middle East out of, is like the Las Vegas. I always think of how bad it was there in Corinth. And, but how they were like, they were just like diamonds shining in the middle of this, this spiritual vacuum. But the, the thing is, the gospel is that thing that uh, speaks to that very vacuum in, in the man, in man's soul, every man and woman, in their soul, the gospel speaks to the vacuum. I, I'm testimony. You guys are testimonies of that. They were uh, in this extreme contrast. So they stood out for sure. So should we. And uh, it's been said that the most important and compelling proof of the resurrection uh, is that it's it's that it's for today. You know, it's not a thing of the past. So it relates to us now. We can we can see it with our own eyes. We can see the results of of receiving the gospel. That's the first testimony. And you can't argue with changed lives. That's what our, my pastor says all the time. You can't argue with changed lives. So. Second witness is the scriptures themselves. They, uh, they support that. They're, the proof. They're also proof of the resurrection. One of them, well, just one of them, we don't have time to cover many, but six, Psalm 1610, uh, the prophet says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And so David writes it, but... You know, he was a prophet. He, he prophesied it that has a double meaning. We don't have time to get into it. He, he said it about himself, but he also said it about Jesus. Jesus says, my God won't leave me. My soul in Sheol, he won't. I like what the new, actually the New Living Translation, I love it. In this case, it says, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. It really gives you that picture. We are, we're rotting in the grave when we're dead. But uh, he, he didn't stay. And we won't. Stay. We just we're gonna rot for a little while. The third witness is uh, 
Oh, man, I get all excited and get ahead of myself. The third witness is Cephas. Anybody remember who Cephas is? It's another name for, not Bocephus. It's, you know, when I first read that, I think, Bocephus? Is in the, no, he's not in the Bible. It's Peter. Peter was a huge witness for the resurrection, a really big witness. Not Bocephus. No country songs there. But, you know, there was at the end of John's Gospel, we see uh, after the crucifixion, picture this, you've, you've read it probably, um, at the you know at the at the cross he's dead they they, they Peter just kind of as the leader he's like we're going fishing whoever wants to come with me we're going fishing we're going back to fishing well, I'm not sure where to go but I'm going to fall back on what I what I know even though I've spent three and a half years with this uh, with this man uh, kind of confused and uh, already denied Christ and uh, one day they're fishing and uh, they see they see this guy on the shore and. And he says, cast your nets on the other side, and they get the fish. And, and long story short, he, he dives out of the boat and starts swimming, and that's my Savior, that's my God, and he's restored after uh, God has a little, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, uh, the God-man, has a little talk. He, he uh, reaffirms Peter's faith. He restores his faith. He said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And so after this, after uh, Jesus, was re- uh, Jesus ascended, Days later, Jesus went on not too long after that at Pentecost and preached his first sermon. And what happens? 3,000 people get saved. And what's his primary, what's his central theme of his first sermon? But the resurrection. We see it mentioned there. And uh, that is powerful. He was impacted by it. The fourth witness we see are the 12 disciples. Really a metaphor for uh, 12 minus 1. Actually minus 2 and probably in this case, uh, whether, well, uh, minus one because G- Judas wasn't there. We know what happened to him. He died. He uh, committed suicide. But the uh, the other eleven were there. Uh, Doubting Thomas came back, and he wasn't a doubter anymore. And we don't have time to read that. But what was interesting with these, they uh, he would pop in and out of places to visit the disciples. But in uh, John 20, there he uh, they were all assembled together. The doors were shut, so it proves he, he was in his glorified body because he could just, whether he walked through walls or he just, however that worked out, I don't know, the side of heaven, but I think we're going to be able to do that too. <laughs> but uh, in John 20, uh, he came and stood in their midst and he uh, made sure they touched him. He said, touch my side, touch my hands, you know, and uh, see what he's real. He wasn't a spirit. You know, we see certain denominations. He was just a spirit, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses. He was just a spirit. There's a good, if you have a Jehovah's Witness come to your door, here's one of the many scriptures that refute it. You can refute what they got with scripture. You don't have to have a bunch of commentaries. You can just, right here. And uh, how do you explain this? He says, I'm not a spirit. And they say he's a spirit. But I digress. Uh, But their claims, uh, you can uh, easily refute their claims of Jesus with the scripture. Um, Luke 24, 39, he said that, He's flesh. He even eats with the disciples. He says, "You have any food? So let's eat." He can. He can eat uh, his in his new body. Uh, something else I I, I want to hit on with the false religions. It just really gets under my skin because uh, they they want to twist the gospel around. They want to change it, but we can't allow it. And this is what happened to the Galatians. And right there in chapter one, Paul says, uh, uh, "If anyone preaches another gospel to you other than was f- what was first preached to you, let that person be accursed. It, let that person be anathema to be to be eternally accursed, to be eternally damned." He said, "Let that person be that. It's that serious. We I don't want anybody to be eternally cursed and damned." But he said, "It's that serious, and uh, that we don't want this changed up because of all the other lives that could affect." And so, and he he says, "Oh, foolish Galatians, how quickly you've been bewitched! You know, you've been tricked. I'm here to." 
you know, reaffirm your faith. And, and I love Galatians, but we're in Corinthians, so <laughs> let's get back to that. The fifth, the fifth witness is over 500 brethren at once. And we're not exactly sure where, where what the, the timing of this, but we know that uh, most likely it was, I, I believe it was probably at his ascension, probably there at the Mount of Olives in Acts 1. Uh, it would have no doubt drew a crowd, you know, if they knew he was going to leave, and uh, which may, they may not have, but I, I think that they, uh, they probably did. He, he visited enough of them, and, and he probably spoke of it. But we know that, uh, you know, if 500 brethren saw it, he could have just used this as well. You know, because he also says, whom the greater part, in verse 6, remain till the present, but some have fallen asleep. So we know that falling asleep means they've died. They've died in Christ. And it's a general way of saying they've, they've died. And, uh, but he's saying, it's like he's saying, go ask them. Go look them up. Go find them. They've seen it. Most of them are still around, and they can tell you. And I have no doubt if they saw that, they were telling people about it. But he goes on with his sixth witness, and that was James. We know that James is... Uh, was the half-brother of Jesus. John 7, 5, uh, uh, he was one of the other, he had many brothers, and we see that he's one of the brothers who didn't believe. If you read 7, 5, they didn't really believe before the resurrection. They, they didn't, they wasn't sure. He thought it could be crazy, you know. He, he did, he was a, a goody two sandals, a goody two shoes. But, you know, all of a sudden, as he went crazy, he wasn't sure. Uh, but Paul says that Jesus showed himself to his brother James, and, uh, and he became a believer flat out. And that was uh, after he was resurrected. And so later, we know that James, with this, this newfound faith in his brother, sounds kind of wild, doesn't it? Your brother's God. But he became the leader of the church, the Christian church in Jerusalem, and uh, did a lot of good work there. And they made a lot of important decisions to help the church. And so the seventh uh, witness, the final witness, he brings to the stand is himself, Paul. <laughs> Paul says, I want to jump in here to, to the witness stand. I want to be, uh, I want to share a little bit. And he, he, he says in verse 8 that, Last of all, uh, Jesus was seen by me as one born out of due time, which I like the new living in on this one again. It says, as though I was born at the wrong time. <laughs> but, you know, even though he was the last one out of the, all his apostle buddies, he was the last one to see him. But he, he definitely, uh, he didn't take it for granted. I mean, he, uh, he was changed. Uh, it was much later, much different way than the others, but he was no doubt changed. You remember he was on his way to, to Damascus, Syria, to drag out Christians for death. He was killing Christians. He, he was a strong Jew, but he wasn't following the law exactly because he was, he, was, he was murdering people who, who proclaimed, uh, very legalistic, who uh, proclaimed Christ. And so Jesus, you remember, he, 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 he shone brightly and he fell off his horse, Paul did. And he, uh, he appeared himself to, and once again, he was resurrected at this time, and he appeared to Paul and changed his life forever after that. Paul never did. <laughs> he really backslid after that. I think Paul was just 100% uh, pushing hard for the Lord after that. And uh, even though Paul the Apostle did all these horrible things, and uh, before he knew the Lord, he never forgot what he got saved out of. Verse 9, he says, I'm the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle. And remember, apostles sent one. He's not worthy to be sent by the Lord, but... In another place, he says he's the least of all saints. And we know in 1 Timothy 1, 15, he says at the end of his life there, when 1 Timothy was written, he says he's the chief of all sinners. So it's kind of a progression. He's like, you think you think at first look, he's got maybe a depression or a self-esteem problem? Not at all. He has a, 
uh, he has a reality. He, he, it's like us. It's the longer we walk with Christ, the more we realize how sinful we are in light of a, of a risen Savior, a perfect God. And, uh, and so, but he, he still, he clarifies, he keeps going. He says uh, in verse 10, in light of all this, I, I only am by the grace of God what I am, you know. I am what I am. And uh, not Popeye the sailor man, I am, I am. But he, what I am is what I am. And by the grace of God, he made me so much more than I could ever be. And so no matter how, it encourages me because so no matter how we're used, uh, and Paul himself was used greatly, and you guys can be used greatly, and I'm sure most of you are being used greatly, and uh, he wants to use you greatly. And no matter how you think that looks, you know, let the Lord use you, it'll be great. Paul wrote, happened to write a third of the New Testament, so he, he knows that that, <laughs> uh, you know, at the end of the day, all we have, though, is his, the realization that by his grace, it's by his grace, he says here, that's the point. You know, he doesn't take it for granted. He says, uh, this grace that the Lord, you know, I could do only anything by his grace, but it wasn't taken in vain. Because I did, I labored more abundantly than they all. I went hard for the Lord, but it was all by his grace that I traveled on four, four missionary journeys, set up all these churches. I couldn't have done it apart from uh, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. So, uh, verse 11, he brings around, around back to around to the point. <clears throat> Whether it was because of myself or because of the other witnesses, uh, the apostles, whoever, uh, you Corinthians believed and you still believe, so keep it up. He says, don't let, you know, and I, I read it and I, I get out of this that don't let this culture, don't let the enemy, anyone uh, change your beliefs, change what you uh, are standing on, you're trying to stand on, and you, you believed, you received, you're holding fast. So, you know, I think, always think of John, one of my favorite passages is John 15. He simply tells us to abide in the vine, you know. We, you know, I talk to people with struggles, and, and I think of in my own struggles. Uh, I complicate things. It gets easy to complicate things, and it's just simply, Jesus tells us in John 15, abide in the vine, you know. Uh, let's read some more here. I end up running out of time. Let's read 12 through 19. Verse 12 says, Now if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead. How do some among, of you, among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then, you're, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Verse 15, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, exclamation point. Then also those who have fallen asleep, asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Excuse me, I'll get a drink here. So that's really a key verse there, verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? This is what this, this section's all about here. We, we've got to believe. Um, he's talking also about the consequences of not believing in the bodily resurrection. You know, let's just say, <laughs> this little section, I heard one uh, guy say, let's just say uh, Christ did not rise from the dead. And then Paul goes on this almost rant. You know, he goes on this, this uh, discourse here of, of, if he didn't, this is the consequences. This is the importance of it. Um, of the bodily resurrection. So he seems to re be reiterating the point a little bit, these if and then statements, but he's, he's, it's for emphasis. He's not just saying the same thing to hear self, 
you know. Um, so we know that some of the Corinthians were teaching no resurrection, but, you know, they were no doubt hearing the Greek philosophers, the, the, the wise guys who did nothing, it says else there in Acts 17, they did nothing else but the, uh, to tell or hear something new, you know, and, and uh, here Paul's telling them that if the dead don't rise, then Christ didn't rise either. If, you know, no empty tomb means an empty belief. The gospel uh, provides us not only with a victory over sin, but also a victory over death, you know. And I think of uh, verse 15, it says we're found false witnesses. He, you know, <laughs> Paul, are you calling me a liar? You know, I, I see here, he's, I can see him say, are you calling uh, all of us liars who've preached this gospel? We've testified of God. We've put ourselves out there. We've, we've been persecuted. We've been beaten. So many uh, of uh, our brothers, those were our brothers, the early church, they were all our brothers and sisters, and they've been murdered. They've been beaten. They've been put through so much, and we could talk about all the, the torturous stuff they went through, but at the same time, God was there. God was making sure that the church thrived through these faithful, uh, the faithful early Christians, and uh, he's saying, we're not liars at all, you know, and uh, but if, say, you do believe this, your faith's futile. Futile's empty, vain. It's, a, it's, it's just a vain, it's a vain thing. Uh, you're staying, by the way, you're still in your sins. Then uh, all who fall asleep have perished. You've died. You know, the Bible doesn't teach soul sleep. We don't, we die. We absent from the body. We're present with the Lord. We don't, you know, our soul does never, it never does go to sleep. <laughs> um, and so, once again, the resurrection reveals that we've been saved from our sins. We're forgiven, and it's so essential, it's crucial to believe this, that the dead aren't just dead uh, in nothingness in eternity. And so, the world is easy to, the world wants us to believe that. They want to just live, you know, high on the hog and, and, and die like a dog. You've heard that saying, and, uh, you know, it'd be easy to get caught up in that if we wasn't rooted and grounded in Christ. But he's saying, you guys go ahead and live like that if you believe that. But you have nothing after that, you know. So there's nothing to look forward to. I don't know why you guys, any of you would want to go back to that. He summarizes it. He says, so our hope in Christ is only good for this lifetime, you know. Well, we hear uh, the Psalms say uh, 70, 80 years, you know. Some people might get more than that if you're really blessed. But this is a short time in uh, the span of eternity. And... Uh, and so we've got a lot to look forward to. You know, we, we don't want to be uh, the most miserable people in the world. And uh, the, I think 1 Corinthians 1, uh, the message of the cross is foolishness to the world. Once again, keep talking about the culture, but I mean, we're, we're, battle, we're battling. It's a, it's a culture battle, a battle for the culture here. And uh, I want us to win. I want, us, I want as many people that we can take with us to come with us. And so, but it's a foolishness to the world. And... Uh, we talked about the suffering, and uh, but we shouldn't have changed the way our we way we are. So, because it's not all a mean joke, you know. The foolishness of the world says, oh, "That's a cruel joke." You're living. <laughs> Just a minute, I'll finish this thought here. Uh, you guys are living for something that's not even there. It says, "No, it, it, you know the, the, the proof's there. God, God is not. Uh, it's not a mean joke." And so, and. There's so much evidence for that. For that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. Paul saw that. And he, he, he wanted them to see that too.
that uh, just for a moment we're we're in these bodies, but we're going to be glorified someday with with Him. We'll always be with Him. Let's go ahead and read twenty through twenty eight. But now Christ is risen from the dead. Emphatic. Now He's risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ also be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ that is coming. Verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father and when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, and the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. I love the phrase in the Bible. Anytime we see it, but now, you know, it seems like it's a transition to whatever we said before, it's true. But now, this is... This is uh, going to put it in new light. It connects that thought, but here he connects the, the previous thoughts that uh, all these arguments are really groundless. <laughs> um, all these consequences are groundless because but, but now uh, Christ has risen from the dead. He is now risen from the dead. He is still alive, and he's become the first fruits of those who sleep. And he's the first fruits of all those who believe in him. And uh, you guys might be asking, what's the first fruits? And I'm glad you asked. He is the first fruits are goes back to the Old Testament, and uh, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but uh, you know, it represents the offering he brought in. You know, he died on the Passover. He was raised on that very day of first fruits. It was most likely Sunday. The, uh, he sacrificed on most likely Friday. We celebrate that on Friday, and, and uh, uh, the Feast of First Fruits, anyhow, was observed uh, yeah, it was on the day after the Sabbath. Their Sabbath was Saturday, so, and the Passover was Friday. So the same day Jesus rose from the dead, uh, but during the feast, the Jews were to bring the first fruit of their entire harvest. So you can picture, you know, it was an agricultural society. They, uh, they had to plant to, to live, and, and uh, in a lot of ways, I wish we were kind of, in that, I wish we were there, because we get so easy, this is kind of a side thought, it's so easy for us to take for granted, even if we don't realize it, that our need for the Lord in all things, we can go to the grocery store and get food, but they, uh, they can go to the market and get food. But it wasn't the same deal. They had to grow it to sell it to buy other stuff or trade. And so anyhow, uh, this agricultural environment, they, they, uh, they went through this, uh, and this was, a, this was a mandatory thing. They were to bring, this, it was a grain offering. It was uh, the first fruit that came up that they, that they planted, uh, most likely wheat, maybe even barley, but they had, to bring, uh, they had to bring the first crops. They couldn't keep it and eat it and bring them some other stuff later because this wasn't that good. or what. They brought this stuff. And uh, they were to bring a sheaf to the temple, and the priest would wave it toward heaven. So it was also, you'll see, uh, if you look at the, the Old Testament, they talks about uh, wave offerings. This was a wave offering. They would wave it towards heaven in a symbolic way of saying thanks, you know. A kind of a, like a tithe also at the same time, um, giving the, the first of their increase. You know, we give when we tithe, we give uh, the Lord uh, uh, the first of our increase, the first of what we make. And so they were giving uh, what they made, the first of it. And so, once again, to signify their gratitude to the Lord for his provision and for the promise of more to come, you know. He wasn't saying, every time you get some, bring it to me, every single time. 
He said, bring me this first, this first one, and I'll supply you with all your needs from here on out in that field of yours, you know. And so they were trusting him for the rest of the harvest with this. And so, and this is interesting because it speaks to the fact that he wasn't resurrected. Jesus, it all connects together. Jesus, he fulfills all these, all the feasts. I wish we had time to go through all the feasts because he fulfills each one. He is, uh, uh, he was resurrected back to life. You know, when you see with, uh, with uh, and I won't go into this, I won't step on Pastor Mike's toes. He'll talk about this more next week because it really pertains to the, that section. But we know that uh, Jesus said, uh, if, a seed die, if a seed is planted, it must die before it, it produces anything, whatever kind of seed it is. And so before it, it, you know, pops up out of the ground and produces anything, it must die first. And so Jesus himself, he, he had to die first to, and be resurrected and uh, uh, to, uh, to be able to, for us to be able to, to follow suit there and do that too. And so we know that he wasn't resurrected just for himself. He was, uh, it was for us, all who believe. And so we can be confident that there are many more uh, resurrections after his first resurrection because we're the rest of that harvest, you know. Jesus said, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And uh, we're that harvest, you know. And we're, we're uh, uh, it's something that's interesting to think about there. So that's kind of the feast of first fruits in short. Uh, 21, 22, I, I really like. It kind of goes back to Romans 5. We won't read it, but it, it pertains to death through Adam and eternal life through Christ. Adam, our federal head. You've heard that. He had the federal headship. He represented every man after that. And, uh, and the fact that he sinned and died, uh, we are, we are going to do that too. Um, but uh, the death entered, entered the world by Adam. By one man, but by one greater man, the God-man, once again, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, he brought the eternal life. So, Hebrews, I think of Hebrews, it says it's appointed for a man to die once and then the judgment. Uh, we see, see here a, a verse that really reminds me of one that I want us to turn to in John 5. If you guys want to turn, I did not bookmark it, need to find it. John 5, Jesus gives us some insight here. In verse 28 and 29, he says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice, God's voice. All who are in the graves will come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And so we see here it's, it's almost two resurrections. We'll flip back to Corinthians. Based on this, we, we see that uh, we'll, believers will, we, we, believers will be uh, resurrected to eternal life, uh, unbelievers to uh, eternal condemnation. So it's kind of like uh, the story of the preacher who vehemently pounded on his pulpit. And he said to every member, he said, uh, every member of this congregation, this preacher, he's real fiery, he said, every member... He's going to stand before the Lord. Every member of this congregation will have to give an account of what he's done. Every member, stressing this point, of this congregation will be judged. And there's no exceptions. And he had to, everybody's looking scared. And this guy in the front row is laughing. And the preacher said, what are you laughing at? <laughs> he said, I'm not a member of this congregation. <laughs> and so, you know, and I don't think there's anybody in there. But I'm, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. But, you know, you might be saying this don't apply to me. Anybody hearing this message on the Internet might be saying, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I don't believe this stuff. But it doesn't matter. You know, I came graves. It doesn't matter what you believe. 
It's the truth. Uh, Spurgeon said that our, our faith is not based on uh, uh, opinions or, or myths, but our, fa- our faith is uh, based on history and fact and what really happened. And we can't change that. <laughs> we can try to change the history, but we're not really changing anything. We're just fooling ourselves. And so uh, we're, as members of the, the congregation of humanity, we'll all stand before the presence of the Lord or we're either going to hear, like Matthew seven twenty three said, depart from me, I never knew you, or what we all want to hear in Matthew twenty five twenty one, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. And so this resurrection uh, unto death, Jesus speaks of for the believer at the end of time, it's the, at the end of the millennium. And uh, it's, uh, you know, put it this way, the you know, unbeliever, it's kind of sad, it is a sad thing, we should grieve uh, and we should pray for for folks because an unbeliever dies, they go to Hades right now, right? They go to Hades. They're they're not absent from the body present with the Lord. They don't believe in the Lord. The Lord's not going to force them to be there. They're uh, they're in Hades and, and they're they're being held there until the end of time. Revelation twenty says they'll they'll all stand, and everybody who who uh, denies Christ will stand at that white throne judgment seat, the great white throne judgment seat. And it's too late. Uh, there's no just, there's no choice. Uh, in the matter, you, it's too late to change your mind. The books are going to be open, and they're going to be judged according to their own works. And so you can say, "I did all this good stuff," but it's it's good, it's sad to think of. But it, you know, it's the books say that you. I know that you've done all this, and Isaiah says that your righteousness is filthy rags before the Lord. Uh, and our, our it is, and so. But th- on the flip side, uh, a believer s- dies; it's absent from the body, present with the Lord. Um, uh, we stand at the. Eventually, we will stand at the bema seat, get our works judged, and uh, but say it's all burnt up like wood, hay, and stubble, we still get to be with the Lord. But you know, I think that's to encourage us, though, that we want to do good. We don't want our works burned up. Uh, what we did for the Lord, uh, because if they are truly for Him, if He is working through us, and we're truly uh, doing it for Him, uh, they won't be burnt up, but we'll be rewarded. And so, as a, what a wonderful thing to be rewarded by the Lord Himself. And so, we got that to look forward to, and we get our new bodies. And for, well, we'll go ahead and flip. We might have time. Let's flip to first. That's, I'll flip there and read it. First Thessalonians four. I like it. It says, uh, "I don't." He's writing to the Thessalonians who were struggling with uh, uh, some some uh, believers, some relatives that were dying, and wanted to to make sure they knew what they knew. And, and he reminds me, he says, "I don't want you Thessalonians be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep." lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We talked about those. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him with him those who sleep in Jesus. Uh, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the, with the trumpet of God, and the dead on Christ will rise first, and we, we who are alive will remain, be caught up together with them. In the clouds to meet the Lord, and thus we will show always be with the Lord. That's encouraging, and that's a that's a rapture right there. It all ties together, and we don't have time to develop that this week. But uh, you know, those who have died in Christ will get the resurrected bodies. If we're here, and I believe we're going to be here, I, I really think that we're going to. We definitely should live like it. We're going to be here and be raptured out someday. Here, it's getting close, and if we're here, uh, we're going to be taken up, and we're going to get our resurrected bodies. Um, and so in 30, 23 through 28, we just read it. He, he gives kind of an order. It's kind of a, a broad order uh, of breakdown of the, that sequence in time. 
Um, we know that Christ, the first fruits, he kind of starts with that. You know, now Christ is risen. We can have that assurance. He's the first one to be risen, so we can too. And so then later on, you know, we do. We get we get uh, resurrected. Uh, then comes the end, and <laughs> it's kind of like, well, what about everything in between? Well, we don't have to talk about everything, but this is the main the main points here. Then comes the end, and you know. Uh, but I do ask, the end of what? It's the end of time. You know, you guys realize that someday there's going to be no more time. We're going, guys, right now, God, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for the saints, uh, and He's outside of time, and He's looking down on us like a like a parade, and He's like, oh, this is happening over here. This is all. It's all like it's happened already in heaven. And so and we get there, it's going to be that. You know, you've heard the, probably the term, the eternal now. When we get to heaven, it's like it's, it's going to all, it's all happened. We're not waiting on our, our Aunt Sally or whoever. It's all, there's no tears in heaven. We're not waiting on anybody. I, I strongly believe that, that when we get to heaven, uh, it's, it's going to be a wonderful thing. And so uh, we know just before the end, from, from where we're sitting, we, we, the, uh, uh, there's still time. Jesus is going to return, uh, like Zechariah 14, he's going to return as the uh, lion of the tribe of, uh, the tribe of Judah. He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. He's going to, they're going to literally split in two. He's going to put all his enemies under his feet. We see here, he says it over what, three times, I believe. Uh, all things are going to be put under him. He's putting all, you know, he's, he's, given etern- he's given civilization a chance to accept him. But at the very end, just before time ends, he's going to, it's going to be uh, no more. He's going to put his en- enemies under his foot, feet. All will be in submission to him. The rebellion's going to be crushed, and he's going to set, uh, set up uh, a millennial kingdom for a thousand years. And at the end of that, he's going to turn it over to God. And so he's submissive to the Father, not less, not inferior, but he's. Uh, it's part of God's divine plan. He's going to turn everything over to the Father. Uh, death and Hades are going to throw be thrown in the lake of fire, indicating there's going to be no more death. There's going to be uh, nothing but to live happily ever with the Lord. So <laughs> I think Second uh, Corinthians 5, Paul, uh, I want to go there real quick. It's a beautiful thing how he writes that. You, might, you guys might go over it again next week, but it's worth saying twice if you do. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this body we groan, earnestly de- earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. That's our glorified bodies. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, and who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. We have that spirit as a guarantee of what's going to happen. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. But we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are confident, yes, well, well rather, pleased to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So I kept referencing that earlier, and I thought, I'm going to read that passage to you guys. And I'm encouraged by it. He's, we're yearning in these bodies. I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> you guys aren't either, though. You might be younger than me, but... You're getting older to it. And someday you can't do the same stuff you did. And that's where it really becomes evident. You're like, wow, Lord, I really, I, uh, I, I'm past my prime. I can't, you know, I can't grab the rim anymore. I can't, full court basketball hurts now. And, uh, but in heaven, we'll all be dunking. We'll be doing 360s and we'll have our glorified bodies. I'll have hair. 
and so Paul, no doubt, was suffering. We, don't, we won't go through all the stuff he was suffering with, but he knew that, uh, you know, someday I wouldn't be suffering with this. And, you know, the, there's something else, not just all the outer things we get to, to do that's exciting, but the propensity to sin is going to be gone. That's, that might be my favorite, even more than hair, is I don't have to struggle with sin anymore in, in my glorified body. And so um, we got to wrap it up. I know uh, what Jesus did on the cross and then was buried, and then the resurrection. It plays out practically when we do leave this world, when we're finally, at the end of our lives, we're justified, we're sanctified, and we're glorified. God, he makes us justified, he set us apart, we're sanctified, and we'll be glorified. We'll be uh, so much more than we can imagine, you know. All over the world, they've, they've got, you know, man's always been interested, you know. This is my closing statement, I promise. Uh, man's always been interested, and we don't have time to develop that thought too much, but in death, right? And we come up, they've come up with, whether it be Joseph Smith, whether it be uh, Hindus, everybody's came up, Muhammad, with this, these religions, you know, God gave me this. And, but um, one thing, they don't have their proof, uh, but, uh, you know, to handle this, you know. But it's really, like we said at the beginning, religious attempts to explain life and, and death and, and all that's in it. But it comes up empty from a relationship with Jesus himself because there's no power in it. And so the problems with all the other religions is there's, once again, there's no victory over death. You know, it's been said Muhammad's in the grave, Confucius is in the grave, New Buddha's in the grave, Christian's in the grave, uh, but there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And that encourages me. We can, we can go to the empty tomb. It, I, one more story. Uh, a guy was uh, over in the Middle East, uh, over in uh, Jerusalem, looking at the empty tomb one time. It's, uh, I don't remember who said it or who it was, but he said, you know, Muslims everywhere, you know, they can one come up to him and he goes, you guys, Christians come over here and you, you see this empty tomb, you're, it's empty, you got no savior, we can go see Muhammad and, and uh, his tomb and he's in there. You know how you sound right now? You're, no logic. We've got a logical uh, explanation. We've got everything about our faith is logical and, and uh, uh, although we don't walk by sight, we, uh, we, we, have a, we can have a strong belief because uh, that empty tomb speaks volumes. I wish we could talk more about that, but all I'm going to say from here on out is uh, by the resurrection, out of that empty tomb, he gained victory over death so we can have the confidence of knowing by his grace when we close our eyes in this life, we'll open them again in the next one. We die. Well, however it is, we die. We close our eyes. We open them up. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, when we, uh, when we see Jesus, we'll be like him for we shall see him as he is. So we'll go ahead and pray on that note. Well, Father, we, uh, we so earnestly desire to be with you lord thank you for this time together today lord with my brothers and my sisters may we all just glorify you lord the rest of this day the rest of our lives the rest of our days uh may we uh, uh show that impact that the gospel's made in our hearts and uh and just splash out on others lord with joy and and thanksgiving lord may it uh, we be that evidence that proof that uh you died for our sins that you, you justified us and uh, you were buried and you rose again and uh, you've sanctified us and you've, uh, indeed, you, you're going to glorify us uh, one day. So, uh, Lord, uh, you, you take uh, old things, you make them new. Lord, we're vessels. May, may we be vessels for your honor, Lord. Uh, fill us with your spirit and may all these have a good week this week in, in you, Christ. And it's your, in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.